Welcome to the Korean Medis Podcast. I'm your host, Nisar Ahmed. Uh, I am the founder and editor of the blog, koreanmedis.com. And this is episode 50 of the Korean Medis Podcast. And this particular episode is part of the Career Expert Series, where in the past I've interviewed uh, career coaches, career professionals who will be sharing their ideas, their experience, their wisdom in helping job seekers um, navigate, the jo- navigate the market and finding meaningful careers. And for today's expert series episode, I'm interviewing Caroline Dowd Higgins. Uh, she specializes in helping people with career reinvention. I'm sure we'll hear more about that as we go along with the interview. She's a career coach, a published author, and also a public speaker as well. And I'm sure we'll learn more about uh, Caroline as we go along. So, Caroline, welcome to the interview. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be with you today. Yeah, but that, my, it's my pleasure. The first question I always ask my guests uh, is, uh, where are you calling from? Very good question. So it could be any day and any place, but today <laughs> I am in Bloomington, Indiana, which is actually where I call my home base. So I live about an hour south of Indiana University. Okay. Uh, I think this is my first time speaking to someone from Bloomington. Uh, Good. So what will be, uh, maybe, maybe you can share with us a fun fact about uh, Bloomington that a lot of people do not know about unless they have been there or lived there. Yeah, Bloomington is the home of, of Indiana University. It's a Big Ten Research One University. We have about 45,000 undergraduates. I earned my undergrad and my master's at IU and have the great pleasure of working there in addition to my uh, entrepreneurial career, my side hustle. And the Indiana Hoosiers are known for what they call the great, the greatest college weekend, which is the IU Little 500, which is a variation on a theme of the Indianapolis 500, where the cars race around the track, and our Little 500 are bicycles that go around the track. <laughs> it's very interesting. Uh, I, I found out that no matter where my guests are based out of, there's always something fun, something interesting uh, about each city. So that's uh, thanks for sharing that. Sure. So now I'd like to ask you, if you can introduce yourself, tell us a little bit about your, your experience, uh, your journey. Absolutely. You know, it is quite a circuitous journey. And I say that because my career has not been linear. And I've come to find that most people do not have a linear career. So I'll, I'll bring you back with a 30 second recap to help you have context and, and the listeners as well. So I'm a native New Yorker and came to Indiana to study music at the world famous IU School of Music. And earned an undergraduate and a master's degree many years ago and went on to perform as an opera singer and loved that career for a very long time until I pursued a shift. I I decided that that was not something I wanted to do for the rest of my career. It was difficult to sustain financially. And I decided the feast and famine life of an artist is not one that I wanted to pursue for my entire career. So I went through a career reinvention, which really propelled me into the theory and methodology of career development 
And it was an accidental opportunity to learn about something that I love very much. And I parlayed that into a career as a coach, as a speaker. You mentioned I'm a published author. My books, uh, first and second edition, are called This Is Not the Career I Ordered. And I focus on career reinvention because it's very rare that a single person has one career throughout their lifetime. I like the I, I like the word career reinvention. It, it sounds uh, it sounds very catchy, but I, I'm sure as you you're 100 correct. Anybody listening to this, including myself, have gone through some type of reinvention. For someone listening, let's say they are new a grad, a new grad. What what exactly uh, or how would you exactly describe what career reinvention is? You know, it's a good question because it can be confusing. A reinvention might be a small tweak. Let's say you work in, a, in an organization that you really like, but the role that you're in might not really fit you well. Perhaps you're not playing to your strengths and doing the types of projects that really engage you. So you could pivot and have a reinvention within that organization. I've worked with thousands of people across the country, some of whom, like myself, had more dramatic career reinventions. For example, a lawyer who decided that they did not want to practice law anymore and shifted into a very different scenario, uh, working in marketing and advertising. I've worked with uh, financial professionals who decided that they wanted to open up restaurants. You know, those are more dramatic career shifts. And I say that because I am an example of someone thinking about students who is doing something very different than what I studied at university. My undergrad and master's degree are in music. And although I did experience a broad liberal arts education, my concentration was music. So I want everyone listening to know you can reinvent, you can transform your career when you really focus on those transferable skills and experiences. That's actually a great point because uh, you, you gave a particular example of someone in finance opening a restaurant. So the question I wanted to ask you is for those who have been in the job market for a while, at what point do they decide to reinvent themselves? You know, there are some really good warning signs. The first one I call the Sunday night blues. And that means if by Sunday afternoon you're dreading going back to work on Monday morning, then that's a pretty good sign that you might not be in a good fit. Now, I don't mean because there's a tricky meeting coming up or, you know, a project that's due and you're feeling stressed. But I mean, if you really feel as if it's not a good place where you can do your best work. Sometimes we have a toxic work environment that's just not healthy for a variety of reasons, so that may not be a good fit. But the basic fundamentals of career development believe that when we're happy and thriving in a career, we have great alignment with our professional values, what we're interested in doing, what we're really good at in our strengths, and how it can honor our personality. So if you're not aligned well with your job, chances are you're ready for a reinvention. Aligned with your job, I, I, I like that concept. And are you talking about aligning the corporate value with your values or it has to do with uh, more about the day-to-day? Could you clarify that? Values are the biggest predictor of career satisfaction. The research is vast and very indicative. So for example, if I valued flexibility and my corporate or nonprofit or government entity was very strict about me clocking in, even as a professional and working so many hours, that might not be a good match. 
I might want an, an environment that was a little more flexible or allowed me to work remotely or do some um, telecommuting, if you will, using digital resources. I'll give you another example. When I was an opera singer, there were highs and lows to my income, and that inconsistency didn't match my values. I appreciate the solvency, the regular income. It's not necessarily about you know, being extraordinarily wealthy, but not worrying about where your next paycheck. So that consistency value, that security of benefits and retirement were very important to me. And those are just not possible in the arts. So that was a misalignment of my values. But I want to mention that our values change over time. So I know people who have a value shift perhaps when they get married or they have children or they are at the very beginning of their career versus towards the middle or end. So it's important to know that you need to take some quiet time and think about what you value at each moment in your life because they change. That's interesting because I'm, I'm th- even though I asked that question, I'm thinking, uh, as you were mentioning, I'm thinking about values myself. If someone yeah. put me on the spot and asked me what my values, it'll, it'll take me some time to think. So uh, in your experience, do you think people really know their values or is that something they need to be shown? I'm actually glad you asked that because you're right. Most people look back and say, wow, I didn't even know that I could have values. And, you know, often in the corporate entities, there are corporate values. They're on the website. They're on the letterhead. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about what you value. So I I wrote about this in my book because not everybody gives themselves permission to think about what they value. Let me give you some other values of mine. So I mentioned that security, that flexibility. I really appreciate learning and challenging myself. I need intellectual stimulation or I can get bored very easily. So I want a work environment that gives me challenges and opportunities to grow and develop and flex other muscles. I also appreciate the autonomy of being able to own a project and and work on it myself and be accountable for it. So those are some additional values. Some people value traveling. Some people value not traveling. I'll give you an example. Uh, I do a lot of traveling by train, by plane, by automobile, but I do not commute to work on a regular basis for two and a half hours in bumper to bumper traffic like I might if I lived in California. So that's a value for me. I want to be able to get to and from my workplace efficiently. Yeah, thanks for clarifying that. And I don't think I've heard a definition of values as uh, thorough and simple as you have done so thanks for thanks for doing that um, so let's say someone has identified those values and they decided for whatever reason the job i'm doing today is not in alignment with my values what do you suggest they do next where do they get started So this is where you really need to begin the self-discovery process. And I have a very simple exercise that I use with my coaching clients, and it's called keep, stop, and start. And I create three columns. Maybe it's a spreadsheet. Maybe it's just a piece of paper. And I start to write down over, over a week. You know, this isn't something that you do in one sitting. You really need to think what's working in this job environment, because it's not all bad in most scenarios. What do I want to keep? Maybe it's the salary, maybe it's the type of work, maybe it's the type of corporate entity. What do I want to stop? What's not working? Maybe you have a toxic boss, or maybe you have a two-hour commute each way. 
So start to identify what you would like to eliminate. And then third, what are you missing? What would you like to start? Maybe you would love to have international travel. Maybe you're looking for a promotion or a financial upgrade. Maybe you're looking for something completely different. But starting to note those three areas gives you a point of departure so then you can begin to investigate opportunities to connect those dots. So it's keep, start, and stop? Is, is, that, is that? Exactly right, yes. Oh, I articulate it as keep, stop, start, yes. Okay, very interesting. So they have then, using that, they're, they're actually mapping out instead of them going to a job board and uh, trying to look for what is available. This is more of a reverse engineering their career then. And I'm so glad you mentioned that because so many people, when they're frustrated, just go right to the job board. They look at title, they look at salary, and that's just the natural instinct instinct to say, what's next? And I want to really strongly encourage people to take some time to self-reflect because you can jump right into another misaligned job. And if you don't give yourself permission to take that time and reflect and think about what you want and what you don't want, you may just duplicate the scenario in a different organization. You know, it's important to to look for opportunities and to have that resume ready and to network and to meet people. But if you don't know what you're looking for, then that can be futile. So promise me, everybody listening, that you're going to take that time to really self-reflect. Good point. Um, otherwise, it becomes like what Einstein says. Insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, expecting different results, right? Exactly right. Exactly right. Okay. Uh, so they have taken your advice. They have identified exactly the type of career they want. Um Well, let me stop you. Let me stop you because the word exactly, I think, is loaded. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that there is a perfect position for anyone, myself included. And part of my world is being an entrepreneur because that's just the nature of of work. So I always encourage people, forget about perfection, forget about exact. But if you can find something that hovers in the the 80% range, then you're in good shape. So I, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I just share, don't look for the unicorn because they're very hard to find. Look for something that's feasible, that fits you in an 80% good to go, this works lens, because I think looking for that perfect scenario can be very frustrating. And you know what, thanks for connecting me because uh, I'm thinking about the careers I've had, the jobs I've had. Some of them were not as good as the others. Some of them were excellent. And even the ones that I really enjoyed and stayed longer, it was not perfect. There were some flaws. And in spite of that, but the advantages outweigh the flaws. So I think perfection could become uh, something that hinders you. So th- uh, thanks for correcting me there. I think that is, that's, that's a key thing. It's a common mistake that we all make. And I think we, we anticipate perfection. And I think if we have clarity of expectations, we're going to be much happier on the other side. Hmm. So the, the number is 80%. I mean, I'm not, once again, I'm going to the exact. The range is 80%. 
I, I think that's a fair range. You know, it's not exact, but my point is it's rare if ever to find something that's perfect. I mean, even if you're the CEO of an organization and that is a pinnacle job, uh, it might not be the perfect scenario. You know, that's just life. And that's just the reality of interacting with other human beings. Yeah, that is totally true. So I can think of one thing that comes in the mind of people listening to this or even anyone in general, they might have, they go through this exercise and they think hmm, this, this is the type of industry or company I want to work for. But in my experience and also the others I've spoken to, when they start the process of job search, which Karina mentioned, there is always doubts, self-doubts. They have, they have limiting beliefs and uh, thoughts. Uh, have you experienced that when you're dealing with your clients and the people you have helped? Absolutely. There is a fascinating syndrome called the imposter syndrome, and it's being studied by psychologists worldwide. And the truth is, we are human. We all have self-doubt. Some people are built with more confidence, perhaps born or it's part of how they are nurtured. But it's normal to have self-doubt. So I want to help everybody listening understand you're not strange. Self-doubt is normal. However, it's important for us to overcome that because we don't want self-doubt or lack of confidence to hold us back from achieving. So the first thing I would recommend is create a circle of trust, people in your life whom you can depend on to be your accountability masters. I call it my board of directors. And it doesn't mean I convene all of them together once a month for a meeting, but it might mean that I reach out to them with a text or a phone call or an email and say, can you help me work through this? And what do you think about this opportunity? So they can help me boost my confidence. And it's not just gratuitous. You want people that really know your value and what you bring to the table in a professional scenario, because self-doubt is natural. It's part of life, but we need to boost each other up. And we need to recognize what we do well so we can take advantage of new challenges. That sounds totally fair. That makes that makes sense as well. Um, so we spent the last uh, 15, 20 minutes talking about the mindset, uh, the, uh, the preparation. I wanted to ask you, um, you, have, uh, ex- you have helped a lot of clients over the last few years. In the, re- in the recent couple of years, has things changed? Has the job search process, or the career change process changed? It has. I still think networking is the most important opportunity for humans to connect with humans. But LinkedIn has changed the world in, in regarding job search. You know, there are over 500 million people on LinkedIn. So I would advise everybody, if they're not on LinkedIn, they should be. It's a great opportunity to be seen and heard, and so much of the platform is still free, so you don't need to subscribe to the financial component if you don't want to or are not able to. There's a lot you can leverage, but it's really become our own personal website of, of sorts, a professional portfolio, if you will. You know, the, the digital resume, uh, the paper resume is, is basically extinct. You know, the digital file is often something we share with HR when we're applying for a job, but everybody understands that they're being checked out on LinkedIn. That is where we go to uh, do our our reconnaissance about candidates. So I would say that digital transformation, it has really impacted how we seek talent, how we retain job opportunities, and how we reinvent. LinkedIn, and I think that's uh, 
you're correct. If you're not on LinkedIn and you are in the market, then you're actually holding yourself back. So LinkedIn is more of a networking tool, branding tool, rather than a digital resume. Uh, is that correct? Yes, although I would say it is such a beautiful platform where you can attach rich media, anything from a PDF of your resume to a video to sound clips or you know digital assets that reflect the work that you do. So in a way, it, it is your it's much more than your resume. It's a deeper version of the return on investment that you bring to a company. And please know I, I don't work for LinkedIn. I'm not endorsing LinkedIn in any way other than it is a global tool and it's a great way to be seen and heard. And right now it really is the number one platform. You may know this and and your listeners may, all of the job sites, whether it is Indeed or Career Monster or um, Career Builder, they're all pulling and aggregating those job opportunities and they're on LinkedIn. So again, not to deny all those wonderful other uh, job sites of the great work that they're doing. But if you want one-stop shopping, LinkedIn pulls those jobs from all of those other sites. So I have a question. This is I'm just running through this scenario. Let's say I've been working in a career for five years. My LinkedIn says the same as well. And all of a sudden I decide I want to change careers. I want to go into a totally different industry. Um, how how do you recommend people leverage that on leverage LinkedIn to do that? Um, yeah, it's a it's a great question. So LinkedIn gives you a chance to tell your story when you're not there in person. So the first thing that I would do is make sure that you have some fresh recommendations for from people who really know your work well and are endorsing you, so others believe that you are valuable for the next opportunity. And I would tell that story. There's a beautiful summary statement that is at the top of the profile. And it's a way for you in first person to briefly and succinctly talk about your career reinvention. Now, if you're currently employed and you don't want your current employer to know that you're moving someplace else, you have to be subtle in how you share that information. But it's it's okay to, to announce that you're looking to expand your skill set and expand your, your experiences in a different realm. Because LinkedIn is such a platform where recruiters and hiring managers are looking. If they see that you've made a shift, there may be a new opportunity that they have in their toolkit for you. Okay. Um, And what recommendation would you give for someone's resume, especially if they are completely switching careers? Um, How do they highlight those skills similar to what they have done in LinkedIn? This is extremely important because your previous experience is in a very particular field, right? Let's say you're an engineer and you've worked for a few companies and you've got some extraordinary experience as an engineer, but you're wanting to make a very dramatic shift and go into a different field. So what I suggest is right at the top of the resume, you have a very short brand statement and it might be two or three sentences that articulate that you're looking to make a transition. You know, don't hide it hit it right on and talk about the experience of engineer and how it has empowered you to go into whatever the next field is. Maybe it's marketing, maybe it is life sciences and you're moving in a very different direction, but there are always connective experiences that go from one to the other. And if you can articulate that, then it's more clear for an employer who might just see 
well, she's been an engineer for 10 years. What else can she do? You need to answer the question, what else can I do? And you need to be very clear and have a professional strengths category and that brand statement. So now I'm just moving along. They've got the resume. The company that is looking at them, the employer, potential employer are impressed. They call them. And I'm sure this question will come up. Hey, you've been an engineer for 10 years and now you want to work in marketing. So how does a candidate in that position build that trust or show that he or she can do that job? Well, again, tell the story. And I think it's important for the candidate to have done some homework and maybe they did some volunteering for marketing roles, not roles, but marketing projects, either in their community or with nonprofits or boards or schools. You know, maybe their their child is in a school system and they did some volunteering to sharpen those marketing skills. Or maybe they took some online courses and really enhanced their software uh, ability with Photoshop and InDesign, for example. So you, you can't go from one to the other without any connection. You need to pursue your due diligence and make sure that you do have some skills. And if you don't, you can seek them out rather easily. It doesn't always mean going back for an entirely new collegiate degree. It might be a certificate or a workshop or some online courses. Uh, we call this micro-credentialing, or it might be some volunteering even within your company so you get your your feet wet and learn a little bit about that other opportunity. Otherwise, you're too big a risk. So you do need some connection, in this case, for our example, from engineering to marketing to be viable. I, I think you shared some very interesting uh, insights there. Uh, just because you wanted to work doesn't necessarily mean that's a good idea. You need to have some type of relevant experience, whether it's volunteering or project, to make that natural move. I, I like to think of this. I, I work with a lot of lawyers. The, the legal industry is intense, and a lot of lawyers burn out and say, I, I need to take a break. I don't want to do this anymore. What else is there? You need to think like a lawyer and prove your case. Come to the table with facts and examples, evidence, if you will, that shows the hiring manager in the marketing organization that as an engineer, there were things that you did that were relevant to marketing or that you got those experiences in an extracurricular type of way in your personal life or in your social life or by volunteering in the company where you serve as an engineer. So the bottom line is prove it. <laughs> That's a great analogy. Think like a lawyer, prove your case, uh, no matter what you do. So that's that's actually a perfect example. Um, I, I, uh, Caroline, we are coming to the end of the interview. Uh, she had a lot of great ideas. Uh, any last words, anything that you would like to add to the questions that we have discussed so far? Yeah, what I always want to add when I, when I end an interview is that it, it's never too late or too early to change your mind. You know, I work with so many individuals who studied one particular thing at university, whether it was law or engineering or medicine or liberal arts, and they feel like that has tracked them for life. And it's okay to change your mind. And I know it takes a lot of work to reinvent, but it's worth it. I, I know that sometimes bad bosses happen, bad jobs happen, the right fit doesn't happen, but suffering is optional. Life is short, and I truly believe that everyone listening deserves to be happy and gratified in their career. We spend a lot of time at work. 
frankly, we spend more time at work than we typically do with our families. So I believe that you deserve to be happy. So if you're not, consider reinventing. That's a great wrap up in summary. It's never too late to reinvent your life, reinvent your career. Uh, Caroline, as I mentioned, uh, lots of great ideas. Uh, thanks for sharing them. I like that. I, I like the fact you gave analogies or the ideas were very digestible. So uh, it was great. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thanks everyone for listening to this episode of the Career Medis podcast. I've written a brief summary of the interview uh, with links and resources to uh, Caroline's website. If you enjoyed this particular episode and also learned something new, feel free to post a comment or a review. And if you really loved it, definitely go ahead and share this among your network. As always, you can find the other interviews of the Career Medis podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and TuneIn. Until next time, this is Nisar Ahmad, your host for the Career Medis podcast. Thank you. Oh,